0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, September 29th, 2022. As we read through the Bible, one thing that you've probably noticed for sure by now is that On most days, it will take you longer to read the Old Testament portion of our reading than the New Testament. And the answer is simple. The Old Testament is much longer than the New Testament. But as you get to chapters like today, where we're looking at 2 Chronicles 31 and Psalm 48, you might look at that and say, well, a chapter all about Hezekiah organizing the priests. Why should I care about that? And a lot of the history we get to in the Old Testament, why should I care about that? I mean, maybe it's interesting, but, you know, I'm not a a nerd like Pastor Ben is. So, you know, I'm just going to skim over this stuff because it doesn't really affect me. Well, that's where I want you to notice the other chapter that we read in our Old Testament reading, Psalm 48 today. Now, now some Psalms are hard for us to know exactly when they're written. So we're covering some of these Psalms as we go uh, throughout the Old Testament. But today we read Psalm 48. And this is another Psalm sometimes that might be hard to relate to. Why should I care about this? Some Psalms uh, really focus on um, the city of Jerusalem or they focus on Zion that this hill in the city of Jerusalem. And you might say, that I, I have a hard time relating to that. I'm not Jewish. I don't care as much about Jerusalem. And I've never been there. So what difference does this make to me? Well, here's the answer I want you to understand. We should care about the history of the Old Testament. We should care about Psalms, about Jerusalem, because they reveal God to us. They show us who our God Is. And you see this very clearly at the end of Psalm 48. In verse 12, it says, Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. So, hey, go around Jerusalem, walk around its walls and its ramparts and tell the next generation, hey, look at what you're seeing here in the history of this city. You're seeing God. And that God is our God, not just now, but forever. And he will guide us forever. At the beginning of the psalm in verse one, it says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. You get that? Know the history of the city of Jerusalem because within the city of Jerusalem, God has revealed himself to be a fortress. And then it goes on even to describe kings assembling against Jerusalem and how God uh, delivered them. And it says in verse 9, we have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. So as we consider that, let that be a reminder. We should care about the history of Jerusalem because it reveals the character of God. It shows us that he is a fortress. It shows us that he will guide us forever and ever. So pay attention to the Old Testament. It is not irrelevant. It is not just for history nerds. It is for Christians. It is for God-fearing people who want to know God and love God and follow God because it reveals God to us. And hopefully that helps us think about all the history that we see in the Bible and even somewhat today. The fact that you can still go and walk around the walls and the ramparts of Jerusalem and see all the biblical history there, it is still there testifying to the greatness of God. And so let's not skim over the Old Testament. Let's consider what it reveals to us. Uh, Let's just look briefly at what 2 Chronicles 31 is all about. In this chapter, we see some pretty powerful pictures. The first thing you see is that they go out to the cities of Judah and they break in pieces all of the idols. Um, they they get rid of that and that kind of going back to what we recently talked about the the makings of revival. That's another one. If we want to see revival, we have to see idols destroyed. We have to see the things that people are placing above or next to God uh, really be abolished. And then we see this beautiful picture really of the people coming together to give to the work of the temple, and they bring uh, they bring a sufficient amount for the need. And you see the chief priest saying, since they began to bring the contributions into the house of the Lord, we have eaten and had enough and have plenty left for the Lord has blessed his people so that we have a large amount left. And all the needs of the priests were met and they're seeking really that this is to restore worship. So even this, remember we're seeing Hezekiah come in and kind of clean house after a very wicked King. And he is leading the people to worship God again. And hopefully that's something that sticks out to us from re- reading about Hezekiah, just the beauty of what happens when a people turns from sin and turns from idolatry and turns to seek the Lord. And, and we see how God blesses that. Look at the last two chap- two verses of the chapter. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and he prospered. And let that be a lesson to you. Seek God with all your heart. Seek to do what is good and right and faithful, and God will bless it. That blessing might not always look like what we think. And even as we're going to see soon in the reign of Hezekiah, there's some serious problems that come along. So it doesn't mean there won't be any problems, but God will bless. God will honor those who seek him, who seek what is good and right and faithful, and who do that with all of their heart. So don't skim over the Old Testament today. There is a lot for us to learn there. Finally, we read a whole book of the New Testament today, the book of Philemon. Now, why do we read this book now for... Philemon is often thought of as a companion letter to the letter of Colossians. And why do we think that? Well, we see some of the same names, especially this name Onesimus, uh, listed at the end of Colossians and now here in Philemon. And what we gather from reading this letter is that Onesimus is actually a slave who belongs to Philemon, who apparently is someone there in the church in Colossae. And Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And we also gather that Onesimus is now a believer. And even that Paul had a hand in leading Onesimus to Christ, he re- he appeals to him as my child, "...whose father I became in my imprisonment," and that there's been a transformation in Onesimus. In verse 11, "...formerly he was useless to you, but now he indeed is useful to you and to me." And so one thing that this book generates is a lot of discussion about slavery. People want to know, what does the Bible say about slavery? Does the Bible condemn slavery? Does the Bible condone slavery? What do we learn about that from the book of Philemon? And there's even lingering questions. Clearly, Paul is hoping that Philemon will do something. Is that merely to forgive Onesimus? Because it seems from what we know about the law, there could have been severe punishments on Onesimus, who seems to be a runaway slave, or is he hoping— and expecting and even commanding that Philemon will set... Onesimus is free. And the thing is we can't know for sure what the answer to that question is, and I think a lot of the focus on slavery and wanting to resolve our questions from a modern western perspective aren't really what God was getting at in this book. And what we see is something even more fundamental than that. What we see Paul appealing to is that even though Philemon is a master and Onesimus is a slave, they now have a relationship in Christ that supersedes any other human relationship. They are now beloved brothers in the Lord. So instead of going off too far on a tangent of, hey, how does this speak to problems that we've tried to deal with over the last few hundred years in our own nation and civilization, let us see what, what is clearly being communicated is that for those that belong to Christ, they have a brotherhood through that common relationship in Christ that supersedes every other human distinction, whether that is slave or free, whether that is Greek or Jew, whether that is a barbarian or or these other distinctions that we see uh, listed in Colossians. Maybe that's some reason why Paul mentioned all those things in Colossians chapter three, whether we are rich or poor, whatever even modern things we might think of as things that divide people. If we belong to Christ, we have a shared identity in Christ that supersedes anything else. So just Think about that even in the context of your local church. And you might see people that come from different backgrounds, uh, different economic status, different occupations. And just remember, you have a bond with all of those people in Christ that supersedes any of those distinctions or divisions. And that should rise above all of those things Uh, in our own minds. We should view people as brothers and sisters first before anything else, and treat them accordingly as brothers and sisters in Christ. So a lot to learn there from this small book of Philemon, but I hope you are refreshed in reading the Bible and knowing that you're not just reading history, although you are, and you're learning important facts, but those facts tell us who our God is. He is a fortress. He is faithful, and we will trust him. We will look to him both now and